So let's, uh, let's now turn our attention to God's Word. We find ourselves in the book of Ruth. And this is the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope. Now, normally at Advent, we follow the journey of two travelers on their way to Bethlehem. We just sung the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And these two travelers arrive in this little town. Town. Now, today, when we come to Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to 22, we have two travelers coming to Bethlehem. It's not Mary and Joseph. It's not with the expectation and, and the, the sense of, of arrival of this new child. No, we have two travelers. We have Ruth and Naomi arriving in Bethlehem, not with the expectation of a child coming, but with the destitution and, and, the, and, and, and the despair of having buried a husband and two sons, or a husband, a brother-in-law, and a father-in-law. Today's message is called, Call Me Mara. Call Me Mara. That is what, that is what Naomi asks the, the people in Bethlehem to, to call her. Let's read the whole passage uh, together. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you, sorry, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, no, we will not, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Ruth is a unique book in the Old Testament. This chapter, this section is a unique chapter. Uh, Ruth is unique in that there's only two books in the Bible that are named after women, Ruth and Esther. And Ruth is named after a a non-Jewish woman. She is a Moabite. And this passage that we're studying right now is unique in the Bible because there are no men. Uh, there's, there's, just the, there's just Naomi, there's the two uh, daughters-in-law, and even when they arrive to Bethlehem, the only speaking parts uh, belong to the women of Bethlehem. And so we're going to look today at these three women and how they respond to the circumstances that they find themselves in, how they respond to the darkness and the difficulty. And so we begin uh, today with uh, Naomi. And when we look at Naomi, we see brokenness and we see bitterness. Naomi, brokenness and bitterness. It says in verse 6 that she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. She was going to return. This is a key repeated word in this section. Twelve times in this passage, that word return occurs. Sometimes the ESV translates it return or turn back or go back or brought back or bring back. But returning is the main theme of this passage of Scripture. And what we're going to see here is that Naomi is returning to the land, but she's not returning to the Lord. She's returning to the land, but not to the Lord. She's returning to a physical place, but she isn't returning in terms of her spiritual life. She's returning, and she wants her daughters-in-law to return to Moab. And there's all of this talk of returning throughout this chapter. But Naomi is in such a place of brokenness and bitterness She cannot yet, at this point, return to the Lord. She's only returning to the land. In verse 6, it says that they they returned from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is why Naomi is going to Bethlehem, because of food. The reason why she's returning to Bethlehem is the whole reason why she left Bethlehem in the first place. She's leaving because of food. The Lord had visited the people. So the, the people had repented, as we talked about last week, that there was a, because they were in the promised land, there was an agreement, there was a covenant between God and his people, a conditional a covenant based on how they followed his law and how he provided food for them. But as they're making their journey Back to Bethlehem, Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi is intent upon convincing these daughters of law, these daughters-in-law, not to go with her. In verse 7 it says, So 
She set, out from, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, ret- there's the word again, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So Naomi is trying to convince them to to return, to go back to Moab. There's a lot of crying. Again, there's no men in this uh, in this passage of scripture. There are, there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of crying as these uh, women are mourning and processing all that is all that is taking a place. She wants them to return. She knows that their prospects of getting married are very low if they were to return to Judah. But all they do, they, they just keep going. They, they just cry, and they don't leave. So then Naomi takes another tact. Look at verse 10. It says, And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and I should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? So Naomi here paints this really awkward hypothetical situation. She says, okay, there's no men around, but let's say I were to get married in the next 24 hours. And let's say, even though likely, uh, by this point, Naomi is, is postmenopausal. She says, even though un- if it, it's super unlikely that I were to get married, it would be super unlikely that I would be able to conceive and have children. But let's say that I, I, I do have children. And let's say that I have twin boys. Now, would you be willing to... Wait, now, why is she going to all of this trouble? Because... Naomi is looking where they're headed. They're headed to Bethlehem. She's looking who she's with. She's with two Moabite women. Remember the history of Moab and the people of Israel. No one is going to want to have their son marry Ruth or Orpah. No one. The only possible scenario that Naomi imagines here is something that's referred to as a a Leverite marriage. A Leverite marriage is described in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. Lever means a husband's brother. And part of the way that, that, that God had intended for people to be provided for, particularly a widows who were a destitute, was for a husband's brother to marry a widow. So Deuteronomy 25 says, Deuteronomy 25.5 says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother, that's the word lever, where we get the, the phrase leverite uh, marriage from, shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother for her. You see, Naomi sees this is the only possible scenario. This is the only hope for, uh, for Ruth and Naomi to have protection, to have security, to have any sense of, of, of uh, a, a status of, of living beyond a poverty. This, is, this would be their only hope. This is the only way that Naomi could see this possibly working out. And then she basically just pushes them away at the end of verse 13. She says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter. 
for me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Mara means bitter. When Naomi arrives in Bethlehem, she says, don't, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, which means good. She says, no, no, call me bitter. My suffering is what defines me now. This is who I am. I am bitter. She says, it's exceedingly bitter. Right now, Naomi is lamenting. You see, lamenting is including God in the equation of our suffering and honestly and in a raw and humble but, but very forthright way bringing our struggles and our sufferings before the Lord. She says, it's exceedingly bitter for me, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She is lamenting. Loved ones, we need to give those who are suffering the room to lament. We can't be uh, so quick to try to correct them. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, later about how Naomi's theology is not quite, quite hitting the target here. But what we can see from Naomi right now is that she is a person who is utterly broken and bitter. Then we come to Orpah. We come to Orpah. It says in verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, more crying. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah chooses to leave. Orpah chooses the path of security and self-preservation. She chooses the path of security and self-preservation. When we find ourselves in hard times, there is, a, there is a narrow road and there is a broad road. You know, Jesus describes this in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. And Orpah takes the broad road, the road of security and self-preservation. Now, just because I know you're all thinking it, and just because I, you know, we just can't escape the fact that Orpah sounds like Oprah. Oprah's given name actually is Orpah, but everyone just kept getting it wrong and kept calling her Oprah that she eventually just changed her name to, to uh, Oprah. So I just, I know all of you were thinking that, but anyway, January 29th, 1954, Orpah Gail Winfrey was born. You can check her, uh, her uh, birth certificate. Now, back to uh, the book of Ruth. Now, remember, this is the book of Ruth. This is not the book of Orpah. Books don't get written about people that take the broad road. That books don't get written about people don't get chronicled in history, the people who took the, the easy way out or the way of, of security and self-preservation. You see, Orpah chose to take that which is comfortable, that which is cautious, Sinclair Ferguson was really helpful as I was studying this week and sort of mathematically thinking about what was going through Orpah's mind. Check out what I'm calling Orpah's equation. Orpah's equation is this. If I go to Bethlehem, I get absolutely nothing plus God. Bethlehem equals nothing plus God. If I stay in Moab, I have a chance to get everything. I get a new husband, I get a new start, I get a family, I get security, but I don't get God. You see, Orpah 
weighed the pros and cons. She thought about it in terms of mathematics, and she thought she would rather have everything minus God rather than nothing plus God. And that is the last that we hear of Orpah. Then we come to Ruth. And in Ruth, we see an incredible example of courage and commitment. Courage and commitment. At the end of verse 14, as Orpah is kissing her mother-in-law goodbye, it says that Ruth clung to Naomi. And then Naomi, again, she takes another crack at it. She, it took two tries to get Orpah off her back, and now she's going to take one more try to get rid of Ruth. And she says, see, she, you, you, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Now, again, Naomi's theology is really inconsistent. She had wished back in, 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 verse, in verse 8, she had wished that the Lord would deal kindly with the daughters-in-law. So she's thinking in terms of a, of a monotheistic a framework. She's saying, may, may God deal kindly with you. And now she's, now she's acknowledging Chemosh and the other Moabite gods. But again, Ruth is, sorry, Naomi is mourning. We, we, she's not teaching a systematic theology class right now. Her, her her, her theology is still being worked out. But she, 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 she basically uses peer pressure. Look, Orpah went, so why don't you go along with her? Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The statement here that we have from Ruth is absolutely remarkable. It's, it's beautiful. In fact, it's, it's Hebrew poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. Uh, uh, Hebrew poetry d doesn't necessarily rhyme the way our poetry does. There, there, isn't, there, isn't, there aren't things like iambic pentameter and meter and, and all of those sort of things that we learn about in English class. Hebrew poetry really works in parallelisms. It, it works in, in ideas and thoughts and concepts being grouped together and then arranged in a specific order. So when we look at this poetic promise that Ruth makes... Notice that, that she, she makes three parallel statements. Notice how that the first statement she makes and the third statement she makes keeps repeating the phrase, where and I will. Where you go, I will go at the beginning. And then at the end, where you die, I will die. And so these two match with one another. It's sort of like a, an introduction and a conclusion. And that means that the most important thing is what she's saying in the middle. And this is what she says in the middle. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. You see, Ruth has been genuinely converted to be a follower of Yahweh. And this is clear. If, if, if you ever need an example of the sovereignty of God in salvation, it's the conversion of Ruth. If you ever want to refute the prosperity gospel, it's in the conversion of Ruth, okay? Ruth did not follow Jesus because of a promise that she would get healthy and wealthy if she followed him. I mean, the only followers of Yahweh that she knew were dirt poor. They, they left one famine to, to try to have a better life in Moab. 
And then three out of the four believers that she knew all died. This is not a health and wealth gospel. The health and wealth is not the gospel. The gospel is that there is a loving God who is committed to us and who is a God of steadfast love. And this is what saves Ruth. There was something about Elimelech and Naomi and, and Malon and Kilion, even though we hardly hear from them, there was something about them. There was something about the way, even though Naomi was not processing her pain perfectly, the fact that she was lamenting, the fact that God was part of the equation, even within her suffering, something happened in Ruth's heart. And so when we look at the courage that Ruth shows here and the commitment that she shows to Naomi, we need to understand that before she's committed to Naomi, 100% she is committed to the Lord. She is only able to treat Naomi this way. She is only able to be so courageous and so committed to her mother-in-law because she is committed to the Lord. So she lays out this beautiful poet. It's like she prepared it ahead of time. It was like a speech that she, she had been running over in her mind. She had put it into poetic form, and she lays it out there for Naomi. How does Naomi respond? Verse 18, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. She didn't say, wow, thank you, Ruth. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's amazing. I can't believe that you would be that committed to the Lord and that committed to me. No, it, the text says she said nothing. And that kind of sets the tone for what happens when they get back in Bethlehem. Maybe they didn't talk over the whole journey. We, we don't know, but we know that Ruth, the, Ruth heard no response from Naomi. When Ruth laid herself out there, when Ruth was as vulnerable as can be, when, when Ruth declares that she is willing to make this incredible sacrifice in order to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi said nothing. Then they come to Bethlehem in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Ten years had, had gone by, so maybe her appearance had changed. But remember, when, when Naomi left, her minivan had four little white stick figure decals on it. There was a little decal for Elimelech and, and one for Naomi and one for Malon and Jill. And, and now her minivan has, she doesn't have a minivan anymore and there's no decals on it. There's just Naomi. When Naomi left for Moab, I mean, there, she would have been the envy of many other women in the town, able to get married, able to conceive, able to conceive sons and how significant that was in the culture at the time. And now they're looking at this aged widow and they're wondering, is this Naomi? And so Naomi's answer to the question, no, this isn't Naomi. I don't want to hear you call me that. I don't want you to associate goodness or pleasantness with my name anymore. She says, call me Mara in verse 20. She says, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. My bitterness is who I am. My circumstances is what defines me. She says in verse 21, 
I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, is what Naomi's saying here, is this a theologically accurate statement? The answer is yes. But it's a gross oversimplification. It's, it's one-dimensional. It lacks nuance. It's out of balance. And so as we've looked at Naomi and Orpah and then Ruth, it's time for us now, lastly and most importantly, to look at the Lord and see that when we look at the Lord, we see sovereignty and steadfast love. You see, some people would, would try to look at the Lord and try to factor the Lord into this equation and say, no, 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 God, God is not completely in charge. He doesn't know the future. He isn't in control of things. And so what happened to your husband and your sons, no, you, you, that, that has nothing to do with God. God. God does what he can, but he's limited in what he can. No, that's, that's bad theology. But just because that's bad theology doesn't mean that what Naomi is saying is a fully robust and fully true and fully nuanced theology as well. The truth is God is sovereign and nothing happens unless he signs off on it. But the truth is also that he is gracious and faithful. That he is, as the, he is the very word that, that Naomi used in verse 6. He is a God who is hesed. It's translated kindness or, or kindly in verse 6, but that's the word that's translated throughout the Old Testament as steadfast love, this all-encompassing word that is a major theme in the book of Ruth that we'll deal with time and time again. God is the God of steadfast love. Naomi said she has come back empty, but who's standing right beside her? Ruth. You see, sometimes, and, and, and Lord willing, it's, it's only temporary, but sometimes, I know it's happened to me, I've seen it happen to people that I love, sometimes the bitterness can blind us. Sometimes what, what we see and, 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 and what's going on can, can be so limited because of the suffering in our lives. Naomi did not come home Empty. She didn't come home with her husband and her two sons, but she didn't come home empty. She came home with Ruth. Look back with me at verse 13, right there in the middle of the verse. Naomi says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. Now listen to this quote from Paul E. Miller. Ruth is God's answer to Naomi's lament. Within seconds of Naomi's charge that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, Ruth's hands are clinging to Naomi in a fierce grip of love. You see, all Naomi right now, all she can see is sovereignty and transcendence. This idea that God is in control and that he's transcendent, he's separate, he's, he's working beyond what we can imagine. But that's all Naomi can see. She can also see that he's a God of justice and a God of wrath. So she sees sovereignty, transcendence, justice, wrath. That's all she sees. And she extrapolates from that theology that God is therefore cold and arbitrary and distant and angry. 
She's blinded by her bitterness. Loved ones, it is true that God is sovereign and transcendent and a God of justice and a God of wrath, but it is also true that God is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Ruth thought that she could see the big picture. Ruth, the, or sorry, Naomi thought that she could see the big picture. She, she was trying to come to grips with the sovereignty of God. She was trying to see the big picture, but her big picture was not big enough. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is transcendent and a God of justice and a God of wrath, but he is also gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And then almost without us noticing, look what the narrator does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 22. So we have this speech from Naomi and she's reeling in pain and she's, she's talking about God's hand being against her and her being bitter and saying, call me Mara, stop calling me Naomi. Bitterness is who I am. Call me Mara. And look at verse 22. So Naomi returned. <laughs> the narrator's like, nope. No, we're not gonna call you Mara. We're gonna call you Naomi. Because you think you can see the big picture, but the big picture for you is not big enough. Naomi had returned to the land, but not to the Lord. There was still a famine in Naomi's heart. Naomi had returned physically, but not spiritually. She had returned to the land, but not to the Lord. But God's too gracious and merciful to let her stay that way. She wasn't going to be called Mara. No one ever called her Mara. She is Naomi, and she was going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Verse 22, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who wasn't even acknowledged in that conversation at all between her and the women of Bethlehem, they came from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. God is a God of sovereignty and steadfast love. A woman who wants to be called Mara arrives in the city of Bethlehem. A thousand years later, another Mara arrives in the city of Bethlehem. Mary and Mara are the same name. They both mean bitter. Do you ever notice when you're reading the Old Testament, there's all these Marys, like there's Mary Magdalene and there's Mary the wife of this person or Mary the sister. There's all, everyone's named Mary, why? Because the life was so bitter. Everyone at that, in those days was thinking like Naomi. In 2020, I'm afraid that many of us, including myself, tend to fall into thinking like Naomi. An another Mara came into Bethlehem a thousand years ago. The first Mara came because she heard news that God had visited his people. Remember that in verse 6? He had visited his people to give them food. This second Mara, Mary, who came with Joseph, she came because God has, was fully and completely going to visit his people, like it was prophesied by Zechariah in Luke 1, verse 68. And she would give birth to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who keeps us from becoming fully and completely Mara. Jesus is the one who, who takes what's Mara, what is bitter, and turns it into Naomi, into something good and pleasant and beautiful. 
And as we marvel at the example of Ruth who left her home in Moab and left everything behind, who didn't follow Orpah's equation, but left her home in Moab to, to go and to help someone who was destitute, that makes us think of Jesus who left his home in heaven to come and help us who are destitute, to come and to dwell among us. And as we mourn with Naomi, who says that she went away full and came back empty, we think about Jesus, who in Philippians 2, verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself so that we could be redeemed. He emptied himself so that we could find ourselves on the road to redemption, which is the road that Naomi is on, even though she doesn't yet know it. Maybe we're on that road and we're not seeing it yet either. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to fully understand who you are and how you are working. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, but you are also a God of hesed. You are also a God of steadfast love. And on this first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, we can hope in you. God, protect us from taking the, the way of Orpah, taking the way of self-preservation and security and caution and comfort. Help us, Lord, from having what is bitter and difficult in our lives blind us or define us. God, help us to see what you are doing. Help us to see what you did in a small way in one person's life through Ruth and what you have done in all of our lives through your son, Jesus Christ. Draw us close to you, Lord. Draw me close to you, Lord God. You are a God who visits his people. You visited the people of Bethlehem in the days of Naomi. You visited the people in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. We know that you will one day return, and we know that until that day, you have promised to even be with, here, with us here now. And so in this echoey auditorium that's normally filled with people in living rooms and kitchen tables, Lord, we pray that we would know that you are with us and that you are sovereign and that you have chosen to love us with a steadfast love that will never let us go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.